It's my pleasure to be with you this morning. You know, as I was sitting out there, I couldn't help but think, we're in a group today that is represented by foreign countries and the Kentucky State Commonwealth. (laughs) But we all come from different areas. If I ask how many native Floridians do we have here, I wonder how many hands would go up. But what happens is we're here because of something else. We're not here because we were born in the United States or across the seas or anything like that. We're here because we are children of God through Jesus Christ. And boy, what a blessing that is, is it not? So we get to meet each other and talk to each other about those things. And yet, many of us are not members, if you please, of this local congregation, but yet we're brothers and sisters with all the members of this local congregation and everywhere else that's represented here. I'm reminded, you know, I'm reminded back in the old speech classes of Florida College years ago, Bob Owen said, now you always want to start a sermon with something very interesting. (laughs) Well, when it was announced that Dave is going to go to Sierra Leone with me, I lost all track of even what I'm supposed to be talking about today. Because I am so excited. You have a wonderful, talented gospel preacher. And to be able to share him with the folks in Sierra Leone is just touching to my heart. and almost bring me to tears. So thank you for letting him go. And thank all of you that are members here for letting me go. And pray for it to be a successful trip for the Lord's work there. I want to talk, there's two parts of this lesson. I learned a long time ago from a good friend who said, Steve, when you preach about something the Bible says, give me something of how I can apply it to my life. And you know, there's a lot of truth in that, isn't it? I want to be able to apply it. We've got two parts. No PowerPoint. This is the old-fashioned type preaching. First part, we should not lose heart. Second part, how do we not do that? But let's think just for a moment. And Paul, when Paul wrote the book of Romans, he says in Romans 15 and verse 4, he said there's things written aforetime that really are written for our instruction and our learning. So let's just take two little books from that, from Jeremiah and Lamentations. And let's, we're not going to really do a lot of things, but I want to tell you Jeremiah and Lamentations carries this theme. You need to consider the end before you begin. You need to consider the end before you begin. Because the Lord, when He chose Jeremiah from the, even before He knew him in the womb, or He knew him in the womb, He says, I knew you, I know what I'm going to do with you, and I'm going to bring calamity down, and you're going to go tell people the calamity's coming, and the calamity is the end. And that's the book of Lamentations. How lonely sits a city. And you know, in our life today, we can look at things like that, and we have experienced a lot of things in this country, and freedom is one of those that we love dear. But all of us would say things have changed in this country. And this isn't a political speech. This is just a fact. Our morals have degenerated. The love for God has ceased. We have people that do not even respect the commandments of the Lord. And so as a result of that, we can kind of see we're in a calamity state, are we not? And yet what we need to understand is there are things we must do as Christians that we should keep going just as those people back in Jeremiah's day, even though he knew what was coming. Over 40 years he preached, he taught, and he knew the end before he began. That's kind of tough, isn't it? To know that. 
In Galatians, the sixth chapter, the Apostle Paul tells us something there when he's talking to the churches in the region of Galatia. And what he's doing is, he's telling us somewhat the similar thing. Let me tell you about the end, and while you're getting there, you need to think about this. Let him who is taught, Galatians 6, verse 6, let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. We need to be teaching. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked, for whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are the household of faith. That is tough anymore, isn't it? It really is. Because the first, we went to the Parade of Lights last night. Any of y'all go to the Parade First time I've ever been to the Parade of Lights. I want to tell you, this is shame. I went packing. You know what that means? I've got a permit to do that. But why did I do that? I used not to do that. Why would we do those things? Because it's not what it used to be. But I want to tell you something. Something happened as we were sitting there. Some people came by and gave us this little pamphlet. You know what it says? God loves you. Open it up. And it is from a group, a religious group, that offers three exciting services each week. Dave, do y'all... Do you offer three exciting services each week? (laughs) Three exciting services. But the point being is, I'm sitting there packing, and they came packing. There's a big difference, isn't there? And it got me to thinking about life, and it got me to thinking about, am I considering what's going on here? And, And have I lost heart? Have we lost heart in what God has told us? And so when you look at this, it says, we are not to grow weary, for in due season we shall reap what? What we have sown if we do not lose heart. So, sometimes we lose heart. But in all the fact of who are you and who am I and what state did we come from and what country did we come from, let me tell you who we really are. Now, you may say, how's he going to do that? He doesn't even know my name. And you may not know money. Let me tell you who we are. Turn over to 1 Corinthians 6 chapter. I'm going to tell you exactly from the Word of God who we are. The Apostle Paul is going to let me read his words that were inspired. Do you not know, in verse 9, that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And here's who we are. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. Who are we? Forgiven sinners through Jesus Christ. That's who we are. That's what we have in common. But sometimes we lose heart being that. And then you think about it, how come we lose heart? How come we do that? Sometimes my faith wavers. Does yours? Look over in the book of Hebrews. 
In Hebrews the 11th chapter, the hall of fame of faith, the one that we can go to and look, verse 6 simply says, but without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is, that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Do you ever lose faith? Does your ever faith ever waver a little bit? When the doctor says it's terminal cancer, does your faith waver? When you get that knock on the door from the policeman and your child has died in an automobile accident, does your faith waver? When you get a call at work and your wife or your husband has expired, passed away suddenly, does your faith waver? When you come to services and brethren are squabbling among themselves, does your faith waver? There are things that cause our faith to waver. But without faith, we cannot please the Lord. In 1 John, the 5th chapter, and in verse 4, John, as he's writing there, makes this statement. Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. What we have to overcome the things of this world is our faith. That is to help us overcome everything this world is going to throw at us. And trust me, this world will throw things at us, will it not? And it will pile those things on. And you look behind and I've heard people say, well, it must be God. No, it could be Satan, right? Satan's the one is the one that brought sin into the world. It could be that our faith wavers. If you go along with this thought, look over in 1 Peter, the first chapter. Look at verses 3. And in verse 3, Peter's saying this, Do not let your dormant be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, etc., etc. But he says this, when he come up in verse... Uh, wait a minute, am I where am I want to be? No, I want to be in 1 Peter 1, verse 3. I thought that I don't have anything to do with the dormant of hair. 1 Peter 1 and verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy, abundant mercy, by the way, just, just sidetrack. I needed His abundant mercy, did you? I needed that. I need it now. I'm going to need it on the day of judgment. His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. By the way, the tomb where Jesus was is empty. But I want you to remember something. The occupant's coming back. But He's not coming to that tomb. Just remember that. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Wait a minute. I I remember walking into a restaurant one time years ago with my kids and there was a table and it says, reserved for Nehemiahs. Look kids, look what your dad did. Well, let me tell you, look what God has done. A lowly sinner. And He's got a reservation in a place called heaven for us. That's powerful. That is something that just makes the cold chills. Reserved in Him for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Those are the trials I was talking about previously. There are things that cause us trials. You come home from work after 35 years of working and they tell you your job is no longer and you don't have a retirement. That's a trial. That's something you look at. 
And you say to yourself, how do I tell my wife? How do I tell my wife the company shut down that I've spent all these years? How do I do this? There's trials in life. And Peter is telling us right now that we need to understand. Grieved by various trials that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, Think about that. You ever seen Christ? Real interesting story. And I may have told this last year, but most of you would have forgotten it anyway except my wife. (laughs) There was a blind man that came to services in Sierra Leone. He kept coming. They helped him in. And in Sierra Leone, they don't wait for an invitation song. If they want to be baptized, they're coming down the aisle. And you have to stop and think, this ain't right. He can't come to the third verse. <laughs> but he came down the aisle. I said, may I help you? And his helper turned him around and he says, Mr. Steve, I need to be baptized. Okay. So I can take his confession. We, we don't baptize. We let Brother Christian, Brother Theophilus, or Brother Tejan do the baptizing. But I can take his confession and... And I said, well, I'll take your confession and then they will take care of the baptism. And he says, can I ask a question? I said, yes. He said, have you ever seen Jesus? I said, well, no, sir. I haven't seen Jesus. He's a blind man. He says, I have through the eyes of faith. Now that's when a preacher got humbled. And I was humbled. And so we look at this and we look at this at the revelation of Christ... Having not seen you love, though now you do not see Him, yet believing you rejoice with joy, inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith. Here's the end. The salvation of your souls. Before you begin the journey, remember what Jesus said? Who doesn't go to war? What king goes to war without counting the cost? Who builds a house without counting the cost? Here's the end. But you need to consider the end before you go to the beginning. And that's exactly what happens here. Here's the end of your faith. The salvation of your soul. So our journey of faith starts back here, but it should start with the end in sight. That salvation. So when we look at this, of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when He testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look at. These trials of life, he goes on, Peter does in 1 Peter 4, verses 12 through 19, and continues talking about that. But just think about our faith can be adjusted, it can be weakened by the trials of life. And we can lose heart. We can lose heart. And those things happen. But let me tell you something else that can cause us to lose heart. The truth restrains us. I read of a story, a very interesting story a few years ago, about a little soccer league for children in Oregon that didn't use a ball. Now, I've been thinking about that for quite some time, and I thought, how do they do that? Can you imagine umpiring a baseball game without a ball? 
But you know what the moral of the story was? All the kids got to participate in the trophy. They all participated. There were no winners. There were no losers. I thought, I wonder what the attendance were at that game. With no ball. They just had the kids and they would say, Johnny, the ball's coming to you. And they would kick, I guess, is how it would go. No ball. Now, Ralph would be a much better golfer with no ball. (laughs) But no ball. And I think about that and I think, wait a minute. What happens? When we put a ball in there, the restraints come, don't they? Little Johnny may not be as talented as little Billy. And all of a sudden, there's a separation that occurs. And we've grown to a society that we want all to have a participating trophy with no ball. That's not how the Lord looks at it. Truth restrains us. Look at Matthew the 19th chapter, verse 9. I'll just give you one. And I say to you, whoever divorces a wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery, whoever marries her is divorced commits adultery, guess what? There's the ball. There's the restraint. There's the rule. And sometimes that doesn't set well with us. Sometimes it just doesn't, does it? And that truth restrains. Or how about 2 John 9 through 11? If anyone comes in and teaches another gospel, then the gospel. Wait a minute. That's like Galatians 1 6 through 10. What are you talking about here? What happens is this there's the ball, there's the restraint, there's the rule book. We don't like those rules. We want it to be our. No, the restraints of truth. Or what about 2 Thessalonians 3 6? Withdraw from those that walk disorderly. One of the things I've noticed in traveling around, and Connie helps point this out, is brethren, we are so compassionate to those that are physically sick and we should be. We really are. We pray little for those that are spiritually sick. I'm going to lose my life. I want to congratulate every one of you. I really do. I want to congratulate you. We've got something in common and you're going to do something. You're going to finish your life's race and you're going to die. And I congratulate you because after that, we get to go to the place of paradise. Might even get to see Lazarus and wait on the Lord for His final judgment day. And unless you're here when He comes and does that, and meet Him in the air, we're going to die. Now none of us are getting the bus load up right now, I know. But here's the point of this whole matter. Do you think it's time we start praying for the spiritually weak? Do you think it's start time we face the fact of the rule? When I was a kid, I can remember that living next door to us was Mrs. Taylor. My mother said she was a peculiar person. I had no idea what that meant. All I know was is I love to climb trees and play cowboys and Indians. And Mrs. Taylor's boy was my best friend at the time and he shot me out of a tree and I went falling out of the tree, landing on my back, and the air went out of me. And the first person to get to me was that peculiar Mrs. Taylor. And all I know was I was scared to death. What would this peculiar person do to me? And I didn't even know what peculiar was. You see, Peter calls us that we are different. He tells us we are different. And folks, we need to be different now. We need to understand that truth is truth.
truth. John 12, 44-50, it's the words that will judge us. Truth. And for the spiritually weak, it means they're not yielding to truth. Their faith is wavered. We need to pray for them and help them. Because you see what happens in Galatians 6, chapter, chapter verse 11. Even the Apostle Peter and his good friend Barnabas, who was also a good friend of Paul, what happened was that they were playing a hypocrite and Paul faced him with it. And he says in verse 11 or verse 13, the rest of the Jews who played the hypocrite with him so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. We should look at that and understand, aren't we thankful that Paul faced up to those whose faith was wavering because of the restraints of truth. And we need to do that too. Brethren will fail us at times. Titus is a book, a tremendous book, written there about those in Crete. That island is about 60 miles wide, about 120 miles long. It's an interesting island. From that, it's a lot bigger than what I thought it was when we were there. But it's one of those things I think about Paul is saying here, they have problems. One of their own said they're liars. That was 600 years before he's telling Titus to go. But he said to the elders there, you've got some, and I'll just paraphrase, in verses 15 to 16 chapter 1, you've got some that need to be addressed. And the reason they need to be addressed is because they're not yielding to the truth. And as a result of that, they're going to disappoint you. Brethren ever disappoint you? I love my brethren. But boy, sometimes we don't act like brethren. We don't. And so the failure of brethren can cause us to lose heart. And there can be criticism. Uh, Look over in Matthew 11th chapter. One of the greatest things of criticism has to be what was given to Jesus. And after this, you know... you. There are just things you would love to see how Jesus does these things. We only have a portion of this written of what went on. But in verse 18 it says, Jesus is talking, he says, John came neither eating nor drinking. They say he's a demon. So John didn't eat or drink. Talking about John about he didn't eat or drink. He's a demon. Now notice what verse 19. The Son of Man came eating and drinking. They say, look, a glutton and a wine bibber. A friend of tax collectors and sinners, but wisdom is justified by our children. Wait a minute. Which one is this? Sometimes we can be criticized. Paul was criticized at Mars Hill. Acts 17. He says, what does this babbler want to tell us? We believe he's from foreign places because he's talking about a foreign God. He was a babbler. In Philippians, Paul talks about the fact that there can be criticism done. In the second book or second chapter of Philippians, and you look at verses 3 through 5. And and this is a passage of Scripture that says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. Sometimes that can happen, can't it? But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than self. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Let this mind be in you which also was in Christ Jesus. Unjust criticism can cause us some issues at times. 1 Corinthians 1, 10-13, religious division. Religious division. It's everywhere. I don't even know how to think about how it all got started. I mean, I know we research that, we teach on that. We... But religious division. God's not the author, author of confusion. But we've confused it. And as a result of that, I lose faith sometimes. I think, this looks good. 
But all I have to do to be saved here is make a little statement. We, uh, we basically call it the sinner's prayer. That's not what the Scriptures teach. And so you look at that and you think to myself, I think to myself, there's somebody out there who thinks that's the way to God through Jesus Christ is a sinner's prayer. Where am I? Where's my brethren? Well, what happens is we have divided. You know one of the nice things about coming down here from that foreign country of Indiana? Is when we come down here, we know we've got a place to go. I would call it a safety fort, but that's not proper when Fort Myers, I guess. But it's a, it's a safe haven for us. We know when we come, we can come down to Learning Center and we come to Southside. We're going to hear the truth. The brethren are going to greet us. Don't even, the first year we came, we didn't know who was here and who wasn't here as far as members. But they were brethren. They were brethren. And one of the nice things about that is we heard truth. And as long as you're talking truth, there's no division. As long as everybody opens their hearts to truth, there's no division. But what happens is we forget about Jesus' prayer in John the 17th chapter. He prayed for Himself to be glorified back like He was with God. He prayed for those that were with Him at that time. And in verses 20-23, through He prayed for us that there would be unity. No division. Unity. But the other thing is, as you look at this, is the lack of spiritual growth can cause us to lose heart too. Hebrews 5.12, you might remember there, the writer of Hebrews is talking about this time you need to be teachers. But instead of that, you have need for others to teach you. 2 Peter 3.17-18 talks about the same basic pattern is we just haven't grown. And I think about that and sometimes I look at myself and say, am I growing spiritually? And those are things that you have to think about because what happens is if you don't grow spiritually, things can be tough. We like numbers. Affectionately, I call that the breadboard, by the way. <laughs> and for members of this congregation, you like that breadboard much better in the winter months than you do in the summer months. <laughs> I know. The breadboard, we like that. I don't know how you would put a board up that says spiritual growth. Spiritual growth. But are we studying? Are we doing the things? Because if not, we can lose faith. We can lose heart. We can get stymied in what we're supposed to be doing. Now all of those things, I'll just tell you the first part, are negative, isn't it? <clears throat> we don't like negative preaching either. So we got to end it on positive nature. So let me tell you about some positive things. How do I overcome losing heart? How do I do that? Look at Galatians, the sixth chapter. In Galatians, the sixth chapter, the first five verses, very simple. Paul puts it this way He says, Brethren, that's us. If a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Well, this is going to help. We're going to help each other. We're going to watch out for each other. We need each other. Why? I may be falling off the cliff, but Joe may pick me up. That's what we need. Somebody to come along. Brother Steve, you're walking close. You know how it is with children. You're going to, you're going to fall off that curve. You're going to do that. You're going to do that. But finally, we might grab them and hold them. Brethren, sometimes I need to be held. 
Sometimes I need to make sure. And you might be the one to help me make sure that I'm not falling. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. You can't bear my burden if you don't know me. Who's sitting by you in a pew? You're going to look and say, well, my wife, my husband. No, who else? Who did Paul say we were? Well, there's adulterers and fornicators and there's those that are thieves and those... You ever think of that? We all are tools that Satan would like to use against God. And we all are tools that we can be for God to use against Satan. We're the battleground. So I may be struggling with something. You may be struggling with something else. I may not struggle with, say, alcohol, but you might. Maybe I can help you there. I might struggle with gambling, and you might not. We, we need each other to help us with those burdens. When things in life get tough, we need others to lean upon at times. Bear one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. Verse 3 is, If anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing... He deceives himself. And sometimes that happens, doesn't it? If we call it getting too big for our britches, well, that's what we did in Kentucky call it. I don't know what you call it in the foreign countries. But that's what we would say. We think something of ourselves. I will tell you this. I love Dave. I do. I love his teaching. But Dave is a man just like me. We put preachers on pedestals a lot of times. We put them up there so high that if they fall, it's going to kill them. We almost make the pulpit so high to do that. The point being is this. We shouldn't uplift men. We uplift God. We're to glorify God. And sometimes even those of us that preach think we're something we're not. We need to be aware of that. For each of us... Oh, excuse me. But let each one examine his own work. Then if he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another... For each shall bear his own burden, his own load. So if I'm helping others bear theirs, and I'm bearing mine, and they're helping me, guess what? I'm busy. I don't have time to lose heart. I'm doing what the Lord wants me to do. I'm not losing heart. I'm helping you, and you're helping me. Guess what we're doing? We're keeping each other on that narrow, righteous pathway. And heaven's in sight. Second thing, in Philippians, the fourth chapter, the Apostle Paul there to the church at Philippi. He comes along and he's giving some instructions. And notice these instructions he gives. He says, he, he's imploring in verse 2 of chapter 4, Sintishi, Iodia, he says, these are true commands. They help me with the Gospel, my fellow workers. But notice verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. <coughs> Again I say rejoice. How do I stay rejoicing in the Lord? Well, I don't get anxious for anything. But look at verse 8. How do I stay rejoicing in the Lord? Now remember, I'm to bear one another's burdens and I'm to bear my own load. I'm to rejoice in the Lord. Finally, brethren, verse 8, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Now wait a minute. I'm helping you bear your burden. I'm bearing my burden. I'm rejoicing in the Lord and I'm meditating on these good things. When do I have time to lose heart? I'm busy for the Lord. Just what I'm supposed to be doing. Look over in Ephesians the 6th chapter. And verse 10-18. through 18. And you'll know this as soon as you turn there. I'm to put on the full armor of God. Why am I to put on the full armor of God? 
Let me tell you why I'm going to pull it on. When I'm helping you with your burden, and I'm bearing my burden, and I'm rejoicing the Lord, and I'm meditating on the good things, i got the armor of God on so that Satan can't penetrate me. I don't have time to lose heart. I'm protected. And then if you look over at 1 Corinthians, the first 15th chapter, what a passage of Scripture. This is one of those passages that you can just sit down and read. And I know man's put in the chapter and verses of But what Paul did here was, he says, brethren, I declare to you the Gospel. And he goes through and he talks about it. He talks about the Gospel. And he talks about the fact that there in that Gospel, it's about Jesus. He came. He taught. He died. He was resurrected. The power of the empty tomb again. He's resurrected. And He's coming back. And then He says, listen, the risen Christ is our hope. That empty tomb is our hope. We sing a song written by the Gaithers because He lives. My brother, let me tell you something. We got on the whole armor of God. We're rejoicing in the Lord. We're meditating on the right things. We're helping each other bear the burdens and we're bearing our own load. And now what we find is we've got the reason Christ came, lived, died, and was resurrected and He's coming back again. And in fact, He's destroying the last enemy. Death. This body, I don't know what my new body is going to look like. I've often wondered if the Lord might tease me and give me hair this time. (laughs) I don't know what it will look like. But it's going to be glorious. And I need to understand that. And then when we come on down in verse 35, he starts into that. But look at verse 50. And I want to read this as we get ready to close out the lesson. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last triumph or trumpet, for the trumpet will sound. The dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall we be borrowed. The saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Now listen to this. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren... Now notice this. This is how we don't lose heart. Therefore, my beloved brethren... Now listen to what he's saying, beloved brethren. He's talking to us. Just as we'd be talking to the church of Corinth. Be steadfast and unmovable and always abounding in the work of the Lord so that you know your labor is not in vain. What labor? Bearing another's burdens. Bearing my own load. Rejoicing in the Lord. Meditating on the right things. Being a carrier of the gospel of good news to others who are spiritually weak. That labor is not in vain. Now, the last passage, 1 Thessalonians 5. How do we do this? How do we do this? In verse 5, chapter 1, beginning, he starts talking about the day of the Lord. And he then comes down and he finishes it with this. Therefore, comfort each other 
and edify one another just as you are also doing. Build each other up. Build each other up. Don't tear each other down. Build each other. How do we do that? Well, we still have to do it with the ball. We still have to do it with the, the truth. We have a rule book. We do it within that rule book. We yield ourselves to Him. And we do what we're supposed to do and our hearts will not be lost to the world. Our faith will not waver. It will become stronger and stronger and stronger. As that blind man said, I see Jesus through the eyes of faith. Do we? Can you see Jesus through the eyes of faith? I often think about what the apostles saw when they were standing there and saw Him ascend. That was after the shock of the tomb is empty. That was after appearing to over 500 brethren at once. That was after talking on the road to Emmaus. And what Jesus said to them, as He goes up, He told them to go to Jerusalem. But guess what? Those two guys standing there with Him said, what are you looking at? He's coming back. It's like it's no big deal. (laughs) There goes the Lord. He's coming back. He is coming back. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in Him, He said. My friend, there's a great day coming. There is a great day coming. I don't know about you, but if our faith doesn't waver, if we don't lose heart, we're looking forward to that day, not dreading that day. And that's who the people is are that we should be. It's not coming to service on a Sunday morning and somebody say, how are you doing, Steve? And I go, I'm going to heaven. Everything's fine. That's not it. It's being able to say, it's the Lord's day again. Glory, hallelujah. When you see a brother or sister in the public store in Walmart, hey, there's my brother and said, we're traveling down the same pathway of righteousness together. Don't lose heart, my friend. This country may fall. It may end up like Jerusalem did. They may write books about lamentations about us in the United States, but they'll never write a book of lamentations about following the Lord all the way to heaven. And brother, I want to tell you, I want to go. If you're here and not a member of the Lord's body, we encourage you to become one. You've heard His Word. If you want to study more about His Word, that's appropriate and that can be done. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Are you willing to confess that He is the Son of God and live a life of that confession? Repenting of your sins. Repenting and turning to Him. Meet Him in the water grave of baptism. Be raised up a new creature, traveling the road with other brothers and sisters, following the Master Teacher, Jesus, as He leads us to heaven. Maybe you've done that, and maybe you've lost heart. Today's the day to get that heart back. Get that faith back. There's a great day coming. What do you think about it while we stand and while we sing?